0: Good morning, church. We're going to be starting in 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. We're moving on to 1 John 5. 1 John five sixteen through 18. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him.
1: All right, thank you, Stephen. Uh, It has been great to have Stephen shadow us this summer a little bit, and his family, of course, is here. The Carvalho family is here, and, and, um, Stephen's grandfather, Marie's father, uh, was Pastor Sam Bombara, who pastored in Lexington uh, for many years. And so it's great to have Stephen, seeing if God might be leading him to pursue ministry as well. Thank you. I had coffee with Stephen. Stephen runs, you know, Andrew said Stephen puts Liberty's track team on, there, on his back. Andrew, uh, um, Stephen does distance running at uh, Liberty, steeplechase, cross-country, that kind of stuff. I never knew anyone that did the steeplechase before. I just see it at the Olympics. And I'm like, why are those guys running through water? I don't understand where this comes from. Uh, some of you are like, what's the steeplechase? You Google it. You find out what it is. Uh, so I said, to, I said to Stephen, like sometimes I like to jog, right? Like Dan and I sometimes huff it and puff it around Horn Pond and Woburn. Uh, and, uh, and so sometimes I like to jog and a few years ago during COVID, I I ran some 5k times I was pretty proud of. So I asked Stephen this week, I'm like, Stephen, you run a 5k, that's 3.1 miles. Like, what is a good time for you? And he's like somewhere around 14, like 50. And I'm like, you're running less than five minutes per mile for three miles. And he's like, yeah, what's good for you? I'm like, it doesn't matter. All right. (laughs) And you shouldn't brag. It's not good. He's like, you asked me. I'm like, no, don't bring it up. Stop talking about it. It's impressive. You know what I don't like? I don't, I don't love, I don't love uh, when I go somewhere, and I feel, like, I feel like I'm going for one thing, but I know in order to get that, uh, th- I'm going to have to talk about something else that I don't want to talk about. I'll give you an example. Uh, when I look up in the left-hand corner of my windshield, and I see that sticker, and it says like 90,000 miles you know, May 2nd, and I look down at my odometer, and it says 100,000 miles, and it's seven months late, and I say to myself, well, I should probably get the oil changed eventually before this engine seizes up, and I pull into Valvoline or Jiffy Lube or whatever to get the oil changed in my car. Here's the deal. I just want to pull in and get the oil changed. That's it. That's all I want, but I know that's not what I'm going to get. All I want, like, I'm going to pull in, you change the oil, and I'll get out of here. But I know they're going to do something else. I know that they're going to come to me and they're going to open up the cabin filter, the cabin air filter, and they're going to pull it out. It's going to be covered in leaves and dirt and grime, and they're going to say, do you also want to do this? And in my head, I'm like, no, just don't touch that. I, I can't see it. So if I don't see it, I don't know that it's filled with all that junk. Like, just shove it back in there and leave that there, and I'll just change the oil, and we'll, we'll get on our way. And they're like, well, your tires aren't, haven't been rotated. Our computer says you haven't done that in a long time, and your tires are going to wear unevenly, and that's not going to be good. I'm like, just change the oil, and let's, let's get on with it, right? They're right. They're right. The tires are going to wear out unevenly if I don't rotate them. The cabin air filter probably does need to be changed. But I, I just want to conveni- go in, get the oil changed, and get out. Don't bother me with anything else. It's kind of like when you go to the dentist. All I want is to walk out and feel that feeling. When they clean my teeth, it feels unbelievable, right? I just want that clean teeth feeling. I don't want to talk about flossing. I don't want to talk about gum health. I don't want to talk about flossing. But I know they're going to bring it up. There's no possible way to get the clean teeth feeling without having to sit there and say, I know. I don't floss enough. I should floss more. This is the time I promise in six months, this will be the time that I floss as much as you're telling me to. And that happens sometimes. I think it happens at church when we're talking about what we're going to talk about today. You say to the preacher, all right, I'm here to feel good, to get inspired for the week. It's a nice day. My kids are here, maybe. I, they, they have their program. I know there's snacks afterwards. I like the snacks. I like the people. I'm here to see the people and talk about them. And then uh, Stephen gets up and starts reading the, the verses, and they're all about sin and the problems with sin. And I think sometimes we come into church and we're like, listen, I just want to be inspired today. I want to be inspired by the music. I want to be inspired by the, by the sermon. And now you have to go and just bring up this topic of sin. And yeah, I know about sin. I know we're sinners. I know the Bible talks a lot about it. But like, why do we have to bring it up again? Why do we have to talk about it again? Like, this is not going to leave me feeling great. And so I struggle with that too as a a preacher. I'm like, some people just are, I'm going to get up and they're going to be like, oh, sin, that's the topic. Okay, tell us how bad we are. And then, and then we can go on and have snacks. And so some of us might feel, might feel that way. Others are like, yeah, I know this. Like, I, I heard it all before. Like, I grew up in church. Like, it's the same old message again. So just, whatever, get, get it, give it to me, get through it, and then we'll, and then we'll go on. And so I even struggle as a, as a pastor, like, why this topic again? Well, one simple reason is we're committed to preach God's word in the Bible. The Bible talks a lot about this about doing what God says to do and not doing what God says not to do. I mean, it's all through Scripture. So we talk about it. Another reason we talk about it is, quite honestly, there would be no real purpose to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ unless sin is real. His death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, was was payment for something his resurrection proves something, that he has power over sin and death. And if, there, if, if sin is not this important topic, then, then, what, then all we're left with is, is some nice sayings on how to treat each other. But if Jesus is the Savior, sin's a real thing that needs to be dealt with. And even as I was struggling with this over the last few days, getting ready, amazing how these things work. God, I felt like, gave me the real reason a few minutes ago. It's the reason why we talk about this right here. I was standing out front just about two minutes before church started. Sal Franny walked up. He said, do you hear about Greg? I said, I said no. And uh, so Greg is, uh, is a guy, when Lori and I were living in Melrose, we bought this old house in Melrose, and you know how it goes. Like, there were zero blades of grass, and there was only crabgrass. Like, all right, we need someone to rip this out and redo it. Talked to a bunch of people, and I found Greg, uh, and he was awesome. He listened to everything we said, got along, did unbelievable work. So when we moved to Burlington, and we had a projects at our house in Burlington, hired Greg for my 40th birthday. I had been planning, we, we had been planning to do a big vacation uh, but I turned 40 in 2020. I don't know if you remember the world in 2020. Nobody was going on vacation. So I said, all right, no, we'll let's take all that vacation money and let's, let's build like a fire pit and patio. I would love that in the backyard. So Greg came and he built the fire pit and the patio. And Friday night, me and my kids were out by the fire enjoying that time. Uh, and, and my wife was inside saying, everyone has to shower. You smell like smoke, right? That's the normal plan. So, so we we're all like sitting around the fire pit that, that Greg built, uh, and I told everybody about Greg. That's why he worked at Sal's house. He worked at Dan's house. He worked at my brother-in-law's house. And so two minutes before church starts, Sal comes up and said, did you see about Greg? And I flipped open my phone, and this is the email, 9:47 this morning. This email comes with deepest sorrow. Greg Parent, my best friend, and my business partner, unexpectedly passed away this weekend. Our focus is helping Greg's wife and his family through this difficult time. no greg's probably 40ish maybe little kids business owner smart guy and he's gone from this world and i felt like when i read that email god said to me this is why you talk about sin Because there's a battle for your soul. And you will live beyond this world. The question of what that looks like has to do with how we deal with sin in our life. And so I'm not going to lie to you, after reading that email and sitting through, through worship, there's some, some real-time editing that's happening in my head with the sermon, and I've been praying to the Lord this morning, just saying, okay, God, bottom line, like not, can I, can I say something fancy this morning? Can I word it correctly? But bottom line, what is it that you want us to hear this morning out of these verses that first, that John wrote for us and wrote to the church in the first century? Like, what is it that you really have for us? We talk about this topic about sin. There's this real tension around sin and its reality in our world. And I don't know, there's this, this old kids' church illustration that I was going to use this morning. I think hopefully it's, it's helpful to us. The way the illustration goes is, the reality is there's your heart and who you are. and that there is sin in the world. And this is what John said, here's the tension that we feel around sin, those of us that follow Jesus Christ. In 1 John 1, we didn't read that today. We read 1 John 3 and 1 John 5, but if you've been with us throughout this series, uh, you know that that John the way he writes, he brings things back up. He's he's more poetic than linear in his writing. So it's not—his books aren't linear arguments. He brings up a topic, he talks about it, he moves on, he kind of circles back. So in order to understand what John says about sin in 1 John, you have to look at multiple passages. You can't just look at one. And so in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, John says this. He says, if we say we have no sin—I lost my clicker here. If we say we have no sin, we our, deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, Right? And what John is saying in those verses right at the very beginning is this is the reality that sin exists in this world. That God created the world the way it was supposed to be. But we've rebelled against that in numerous ways. And John says, here's the reality. That sin has permeated your heart. And if you say it hasn't, you're a liar. That's... I was just going to soften that word, but why would I soften it? That's what he says. If you say this hasn't happened in your heart, John says you're a liar. And you got to deal with that with the Bible. Because some of us, we sit in in church and we read the Bible and we're like, I love the part where it talks about, you know, if someone uh, takes your coat, give him it back, help people out, love each other, don't draw lines between each other. We don't love this so much. that all of our hearts have been tainted by sin. But here's the good news of Scripture. This is what, this is what, the reason why Jesus came, and he says it in 1 John nine one nine. 1-9, right? He says, if we f- confess our sins, that he is faithful to and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? That God has sent his Son into this world And that he comes and does what we can't do on our own. And he makes us clean. The science works, I'm so glad. (laughs) Right? That this is the work that Christ does in your heart. Now we move on. So that's the reality. And some of you have not experienced this. You like church, you think Jesus is a good guy, some of you are visiting, you didn't want to come, but somebody drugged you here, and now you're here, and I'm talking about this like it's a 1987 tent revival. But, but this is the reality, this is the gospel. So this is why we're here. If this isn't real, I mean, quite honestly, next week we should just have the ice cream truck in, the, in yard games. We should skip all the rest of it. Or when we get together, we should just have coffee time. We shouldn't sit here like this or sing songs. Why we do this is because we believe that this is real. And everything else in the book hinges on this. So some of you have not experienced this before. And I'm saying this a lot more directly than I plan to because of my friend Greg. You need to experience this reality of coming before the Lord and repenting of sin and being cleansed by Jesus Christ. But see, then there's a tension. Some of us have done that. John says in these verses that, that Stephen just read for us, <laughs> no one who abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. In fact, he says, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen Jesus or known him. So now here's the tension, right? The gospel says, this has happened in my heart, that Christ has come and made me clean. And yet there's this ongoing tension that remains in the world around us. That sin is still a reality in the world around me. And if I'm in this world, even as I'm made whole and clean through Jesus Christ, I cannot help but at some point, this world around me and the sin that's in the world around me, it's not going to work anymore, tainting, tainting my heart. So this, this is real. This battle is real. This struggle is real. And we started out this sermon series and we said that First John is about walking with Jesus through a stormy world. And Lynn Breitenbach made this unbelievable customized umbrella for us. And we said, we said, you know, that God is love and that God is light. That's what John says. And the reality that Christ has come into this world, that gets us through the storms of this world, right? And like Andrew said a couple of weeks ago, we also realized that many of you are superstitious because every time we open this umbrella inside the church, you think that everything's going to fall apart. Of all the battles you'll face that you need this reality for, this is the biggest one. You'll face a lot of battles in your life. This is the biggest one. And so what is John saying? Is John saying that if you've experienced this, that you'll never sin again? Is that what he's saying? Sounds like it. Sounds like he's saying if you've experienced this, if you know Jesus and have seen him, you will never sin again. The problem with that is my reality. Because I've experienced this, but I'm going to be real honest with you, shocker, maybe some of you have even experienced it, I, I still sin. Sometimes I have to say things I shouldn't say, Sometimes I promise to do things, and then, then I, I forget to follow through on the promise. Sometimes someone cuts me off on 95, or I'll tell you what, traffic has been worse than ever. I don't know what's going on, and we can talk about that a different day. But traffic has been awful. And sometimes I want to get somewhere in 30 minutes, but I put it in my GPS and it says 110 minutes. All right, and I think something that I have to ask repentance for. I, I, still am a, I still struggle with this. I still struggle with sin in my heart and in my mind and in my life. You do too. And so I don't think John's saying, if you've experienced this, you'll never sin again. So the question is, what is he saying? What he is saying in these verses is he's saying, you're going to practice something in your life. You're going to have habits in your life. I really like the way the English Standard Version translates the Greek using the word practice. Some other translations use different words. I think that that's a, a really helpful word for me. The question is, John's saying, what habits are you building in your life? Are the habits and the practices you're building in your life consistent with the fact that you've been cleansed and made whole through Jesus Christ? Or do they look more like the world around you? John says, you are what you practice, so practice righteousness. And this is the way he says it in the verses that we just heard. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. What I think John is saying to us is he's saying, in your life, are you actively in this battle? There's a battle going on for your soul, John says. Are you participating? Are you actively in this? When there's sin in your heart, does it repulse you? Or have you gotten to the point where you say, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm a greedy person. But I kind of always have been greedy. It's this little thing I try to work on. Or is it the way that God looks at it? John calls it lawlessness in these verses. That we're against God when our hearts are filled with things like lust and pride and greed. And that pride one is so tricky. The ancient uh, uh, fathers of, of the faith, uh, the, the early writers after after uh jesus was on this earth they they wrote that that pride is really the root of all the other sin and c.s lewis wrote about that too in the 20th century That pride's really the root of it that we all have that is your pride something that repulses you as something completely anti-god or is it something you're just used to yeah everyone's kind of prideful and we all kind of pivot against each other and yeah i think i'm better than some people or i think that i deserve more than some people but that's just i mean it's human nature Are you in this battle? Sometimes we'll have situations where people will say, okay, well, we're doing this, and I'm doing this, and I know that, yeah, technically, according to this, like what I'm doing is sin, but I still just want, like, the church to be cool with it, and then I can still be, like, a member or volunteer in ministry. we have to have tough conversations. And I've had multiple people say to me, well, why can't I serve when you've got all sorts of people, I guarantee you, people in the church are sinning. I guarantee you we are too. But we're in the battle against it. Does that make sense? There's a difference between being in the battle against the sin in your heart, in your life, and then just saying, you know what, I know that this book says it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I just want you all to like be cool with it. We're not in the same battle. And John says, that's the battle that you need to be engaged with. Don't make a habit of this. Make a habit of this. And yeah, even as you're building the habit, some days you'll forget the floss. Some days sin will happen. But keep going. And John gives us within the text, and I'm going to go through these fairly quickly, John gives us within the text only two commands in the text that we read. It's hard to tell in the English, but when you look in the Greek, you can easily tell when something's an imperative, when something's a command by the tense of the verbs. And so in, the, in these verses that we we've read, there's only really two commands that we see, and John gives them to us as we fight this battle. And John says, first of all, he says, when you hear someone who practices sin, speak. Do not listen to what they say about God. I think this is an interesting one. As we try to figure out this, this battle and figure out how we're supposed to live this out, John says, as you're trying to live out this battle for your own heart and soul and sin and root it out of your life, uh, when you hear someone come to you who practices sin, whose character lines up more with this, and they're telling you things about God, do not listen to them. What happens in the life of this early church, what's happening in the life of this early church, is that, is that many voices were coming and saying different things about Jesus than what John was saying. And so he writes this letter, and we've talked about this in past week, he writes this letter talking to the people and saying, you need to, you need to be aware of these people, be careful of these people. And he says to them again, little children, make sure no one deceives you. That's the command. Don't be deceived. And how are you deceived? You're listening to what people who practice sin say about God. Don't do that. I read an article a number of years ago that's really stuck with me, because I think it said something that's true. The writer of the article, and I even forget the author or the title, but they said, when we look for voices to listen to in our lives— we usually consider three things. We consider the the content of what's being said. We consider the charisma of the person saying it. And we consider the character of the person saying it. That when those three things come together, we found someone we can really listen to. They have the right content, they have charisma, and they have the character. But then they said the problem with this Is that if there's one thing we'll overlook, it's character. And I've thought about that over the years, trying to evaluate the voices that I listen to in my life. Yeah, if someone has content, but no charisma, but they have character, they're a hard voice to listen to. That's boring. High character, good content, not a lot of charisma, nice to listen to, but it can be boring. If someone has charisma and, and character, but their content is way off, that's an easier one to say, I don't know what they're talking about. But I can, I'll, all I can do is evaluate myself. If there's one thing that I would be prone not to pay attention to, is if I like what somebody's saying, and they say it in an entertaining and exciting and passionate way, there's a better chance that I'll overlook their character or not pay attention to what they're doing off the stage or out of the limelight or off of social media, but I'll still accept what they say. And John is saying, character should be number one. Before you decide to listen to somebody about what they're saying about God, character should be number one. Are they in the battle against sin in their life? And only if you're sure that they're in the battle against sin in their, in their life, then you should listen to what they say about God. And one of the things that's challenging to me about that is that in today's world, it is so hard to evaluate people's character. Because the voices we listen to come from a long way off. They come from social media, they come from the television... And I bet if John was here today, he would say, listen, those are all, there's some helpful voices out there that you could listen to, but make the primary voices in your life, the people that you can observe their character on a daily basis, people like people in this room, that you can observe their character, you can know they follow Jesus Christ, you can know they're in this battle against sin in their life, and then listen to what they have to say about God. Make those the loudest voices in your life if you want to win this battle yourself. That's the first command. Be careful who you listen to. The second command is this. When you see someone who practices righteousness, sin, pray for them. That's the second command John gives in the verses we've read. Pray for them. He says it right here. This was in chapter 5. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Now, I don't know if when Stephen read these verses in in John chapter 5, you said to yourself, wait, there's sin that leads to death and there's sin that doesn't lead to death? That's a weird thing John's saying. I agree with you. What exactly does John mean there? I think that there's a piece of this that it was very clear to his original readers and it's less clear to us. But my opinion is that John is talking about exactly this battle. That there is sin that leads to death. That's the practice of sin in your life. That's sin. If you're the kind of person that accepts it, practices it, thinks everyone should be okay with it, that's the kind of sin that leads to death. But the kind of sin that leads to life is you're the person who's in the battle, and yes, you, you mess up sometimes. Yes, you need to go back to the Lord and ask for forgiveness every single day, every single moment as you're walking through the day. And yet it's still headed towards life because your reliance is on Christ and the work that he's done. Doesn't mean that you're perfect in and out every day, but you're in the battle. And John says when you see someone like that sin, pray for them. (laughs) If you've been in church for more than five minutes, you've probably seen this lived out differently. This is how we fill this verse in in church world sometimes. If you see your brother or sister committing a sin, not leading to death, judge them. That's how we finish that in church world a lot. If you see anyone, your brother or sister in Christ, who's in the battle trying to live the life that God calls them to, and they commit a sin gossip about them. Make sure other people know what you saw. Make sure they know that you're better than that person. That's how we finish that in church, sometimes. But John says, this is what it looks like. If they're in the battle and you're in the battle, pray for them. God will give them life. It reminds me of this moment with Jesus and his disciples when he was, he was uh, going to the cross. Remember he had that meal, the last supper with his disciples? And in one of the, at the meal, Jesus tells Peter uh, that he's going to deny him three times before he's crucified. And Peter, of course, if you know anything about Peter, Peter is... He's very self-confident, usually, in these situations. And he says, no, 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 I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus says these words to Peter. This is in Luke chapter 22. Simon, Simon, that's uh, Peter's original name. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fall. And when you have turned again, what what is he saying there? I have prayed for you that you're not going, that your faith is not going to fall, and when you have turned again. Basically, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're gonna mess this up. You're going to sin, and it's gonna happen tomorrow. But I'm praying for you that even after you sin, that your faith will not be destroyed, and that you will come again, and that you will strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. I love that moment where Jesus prays for Peter, asks the Father to strengthen Peter, so that even as he struggles in his sin, his faith would remain strong. So what in the world does this mean for you? I think what this means for us is found in 1 John, John Chapter 5, verse 18. John says this We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, great philosopher and thinker of the 20th century, He wrote a little essay called, The Three Kinds of Men. And in the essay, he said, there's three kinds of people on the earth. (laughs) One kind turns his back on the idea that God has a law and that we rebel against it. This is the first kind of person that exists on our earth. They don't accept the fact that sin exists. They don't think that it's real. And they refuse to engage the idea. He said there's a second kind of person that exists on this earth. That they believe that sin is real. And they believe that Jesus uh, has saved them from their sin. But then they think it's up to them to try really, really, really hard not to sin again. That it's up to them to try harder and to do more and to work really hard. And C.S. Lewis in his little essay says the problem with this is this will ultimately burn you out. Because just as Christ is the only one who can forgive you of your sin, what John says here, he is also the only one that can protect you from sin. And if you're trying to do this, and this is where many people find themselves in the church, and I do this, I slip into this all the time in my faith. That we think, okay, if I'm going to live the life that God calls me to live, here's what I need to do. I'm going to make a checklist, there's going to be a bunch of boxes, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do this. Five minutes of prayer, ten minutes of Bible reading, all of these things that I'm going to do so that I can be the person that I'm supposed to be. And C.S. Lewis says, there's a lot of these people in the church, but those people, it's a fool's errand. They're going to burn themselves out, and they don't have the strength to do this. He said there's a third kind of person. He said that person allows Christ to protect them against the sin of this world. That what they do is they pursue Christ. That when they sin, they pray. John says that no one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. So, what's the solution to sinning less? The solution is not trying harder. The solution is abiding in Christ. Spending time with him in his presence. And it's through that that we find ourselves winning this battle. It doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that we never sin this side of heaven. But it does mean that we're relying not on ourselves but we're relying on Christ. I think the last thing that we learn from John's passage is that the key to practicing righteousness, if you want to live the life that God's called you to, if you want to pursue Christ, it's not to try harder. It's to rely more on Him to do that work. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up as we close this morning. And as we do, I want to remind you of the great hope that we have in Christ. I was definitely shocked to hear about Greg this morning. But the truth is that all of us have limited time on this earth. And the great hope is not that you can try really hard, be a better person, get inspired. The hope is that Christ has come and he has saved you. And that as he protects you, that you are being saved. You are becoming more like him as you lean into him and rely on him. And then of course, there's the ultimate hope that Christ will come again and that he will make everything the way it's supposed to be. That's the day we look forward to. And until that day, rely on him to help you live the life that he calls you to live. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. God, I pray for the person in the room that has never experienced the cleansing power of your grace. Lord, I pray that they would speak to you today. Come and ask you to do that work in their heart to forgive their sin and make them new. Lord, help us to listen to the right voices, the voices of the people that are practicing righteousness. Help us to respond in love to our brother and sister who are struggling with sin, to pray for them, to uphold them, to strengthen them, to pray that they'll come back with stronger faith in strengthening their brothers as Jesus prayed for Peter. Spirit, empower us to live the lives you call us to live. God, I pray that you'll be with Greg's wife and his children today. May they know your love. May they know your peace. Ultimately, may they know the saving power of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's close out our time together?